at an airbase west of Baghdad. 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. This is the Elijah Har Show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 933KWTO and stream us on the 933 mobile app. Good afternoon and welcome to this episode of Where in the World is Elijah Har? But it's no fun because we already know. We already know it's boring and it sucks even more that he's doing a good deed. He's, like, yeah. He's doing it, a good deed. He is. And that's, that's not fun for any of us. <laughs> well, it's boring. good. It's, it's fun for him. Yeah, I, mean, I guess, but I wish he was like cutting backroom deals or something. You know, <laughs> greasing the palms of elected officials, or or maybe just showing him the better way to get things done. You know, with it, all of his experience, exactly. And, well, welcome to the Elijah Har Show, the Friday edition of Where in the World is Elijah Har? He is off doing mission work, and uh, so proud of him for being able to do that. Uh, my name's Bradley Allen Jackson. I'm back in here for the third day in a row, and I will have a hiatus. You will get back to the new normalcy, and that'd be Elijah Har back in the uh, studio next Tuesday. Next Monday, we have the best of Elijah Har. I believe is that right, Garrett? Yeah, I, I, I finished that up today. We're going through some of the best moments of 2023. So, if you want to hear from the owner of the account libs of TikTok, if you want to hear from Vivek Ramaswamy when he first announced his presidential campaign. Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe, who we actually had on yesterday yeah, as well. Yeah, great episode um, with The him. WWE superstar Kane. Kane. We, had, we interviewed him earlier in the year. He's the mayor of Knoxville, or not Knoxville, Knox County, Tennessee. Knox County, yeah. So it, a, a lot of great moments on the Elijah Har show, and you got to look back to some of your good moments to get some good moments in the future. So yeah. 2024 is going to be even better, but like to highlight some of the old moments too. Yeah, and today we, we kind of finish off the year. You know, today's tax day. Got to get your taxes paid today. If you don't uh, get them paid today in person, they've got to be postmarked by the 31st, you know, where you're going to be late and you'll pay that big, huge penalty. It's not really a big penalty, but, you know, it is a penalty. So they get enough of our money. We hate to give them any extra. But we do have a great guest on today. I believe he's on the line. He is your congressman. He's my congressman. I'm proud to have him uh, working on our behalf up in the swamp of Washington, D.C. Uh, welcome, Congressman Burleson. Are you there? Uh-oh. He should, everything looks good on our end. Oh, sorry. I there was muted. <laughs> <laughs> you muted yourself. Well, don't do that. Cool. We want to, we want to hear from you, Congressman. How's everything going today? Yeah. It's going good. I'm, I'm kind of sad that the snow has melted away. It, you know, we were, we were up here on, um, I guess it was Wednesday night and it, and it snowed. It was good, a good little blizzard going as I left. And as I got down to Christian County, we didn't have anything down there. Uh, but we woke up some, with some this morning, and it was kind of pretty to see it out there. But it's all, all gone away. So, yeah, it was the perfect amount, just enough to see it and not have to drive too much through it. So there we go. Well, I appreciate you coming on and being with us today. And the the goal is to have you on here as long as we possibly can. I know that you're 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 uh, doing some family events this evening, so you can't stay the entire show. But we appreciate you being on with us. And you know, we just wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, you know, what's going on in the world, what's going on in DC, uh, you know, get your, your takes and opinions. But, um, I, I guess I could just kind of kick it off. Um, yesterday we, we had a, uh, a last minute call in. So I had the sheriff of Christian County in here with me yesterday and he was able to get on the phone, the sheriff of Cochise County, Arizona, and we only got three minutes with him, but he provided some statistics that are, are troubling to me. So this is my third day in a row guest hosting on the Elijah Har show. 
And every day I've talked about the border because I think it's a horrible crisis that we're experiencing right now. And, you know, New York, Chicago, Denver, all those mayors are saying they need federal help because of all of the, uh, they declared themselves a sanctuary city and now they're getting what they asked for and getting the migrants being shipped to them. Uh, but now they don't want that and they want federal help. What's your opinion about that? And then also what about Cochise County, Arizona that over the past two years have experienced $8.6 million worth of costs in dealing with uh, illegal border crossings, apprehensions, jail time, uh, just on border crimes. Yeah, the, since I got in, and it, this has been the, the defining issue of, of the year. And honestly, Brad, whenever I was running for state rep originally, uh, back in 2008, it was one of the top issues at that time as well. And I, I think that President Trump did a great job of using the laws that were on the books to the fullest extent. And he was able to significantly diminish the number of border crossings when he was the president. Um, fortunately, Joe Biden has, while he has the same laws, he doesn't have the same attitude and what they're trying to do. This is what really concerns me is that they want to get a political win, not a real win. And so they're, they're talking about things like funding for these, these um, cities, right? Um, that doesn't fix the problem. It actually probably will make it worse. If, they, if these cities are, and the government has more money to process people, it just means that they're going to process more people. And the, and the um, impact, as you said, on the community is unbelievable, not just the government. Um, you have the healthcare system that's being strained. You have the education. Uh, the, all the schools are being strained with new students. That, and, and I mean, sadly, and I'll just be blunt, students that don't speak the same language, which creates an added cost and a barrier, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and a, an, addition, an additional burden on the school district. So the question is, how do you fix it? And I think it, you fix it by enforcing laws that are on the books and joe biden clearly doesn't want to do that well i think that's so, very much a big problem i, I i'm fa- i'm familiar you know in my little neck of the woods ozark missouri that's the school district where my child goes uh, and i stay pretty engaged there and at a meeting about two months ago they were talking about uh where they are as a uh, as a district and one of the biggest challenges that they have right now is that there are 18 different languages being spoken inside that school district and that puts a huge strain, you know, trying to educate students. That's their job. That's what they have to do. Uh, students are being brought into the, the system and they speak one language or they, they try to only speak one language, you know, whatever, whatever benefits them at the time, you know, as kids can be, uh, no habla inglés. Um, but 18 different languages in a school district, that's, that's a hard yeah. thing to accommodate. It really is. And the, when you look at the, what's happening on the border, I went and visited the border. I went to Del Rio and Eagle Pass and spoke with the Customs Border Patrol. I spoke with the local officials. And, and what you learn is that things have, have this, these last few years under Joe Biden, it's become startling how many people that are coming across the border that are not, you know, they're not from Mexico. They're not there, many of them are not even from South America. They're from China or from um, all, all the countries of the world have figured out that they could 
they can go to Mexico, pay the cartels to smuggle them into the United States. And so we're getting overrun by people from all language groups. Yeah. And which that, causes a lot of problems. And that, that scares me on a, on a point of just thinking about localized terrorism. You know, it, it, we have more and more of these people coming into our country. We, we can't keep track of them. We're issuing them court dates to report back that maybe one, two, three years out and they're roaming around in, inside our country. And if we are naive enough to believe that that's not come, going to come back and haunt us in the form of some kind of terrorist act, uh, you know, we better wise up because it, the potential is there. I mean, I was reporting on the show on Wednesday and, uh, I think they were in Lukeville, Arizona and, and breaching the, uh, the wall as, as fast as they could patch up one section of the wall. They were busting a hole or cutting a hole through another section of the wall and coming in and they interviewed this kid that come across the border and he says, I love you, Joe Biden. Thank you, Joe Biden. You know, and they, they know what they're doing. They're coming in. They know there's no consequences for coming across the border. They know they're going to be taken care of when they get across the border. And this is causing a national emergency and our president just doesn't seem to care. And it doesn't seem like his counterparts, uh, in, in, in the house and the Senate. And I don't think any of the Democrats really care. And that's a problem. It is a huge problem, and I don't, I don't understand it. Um, and at, look, I, there was a time when Republicans and Democrats had the same goals, and we just disagreed about how to achieve the same goals. Now, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand the position of an administration that, that thinks that this policy is, is okay. And so... We, we have 10,000 people a day, over 10,000 people a day now coming illegally across the southern border. It's more than can possibly be processed by the, the Border Patrol. And, um, and if you think about 10,000 people a day is populating entire cities in our community, okay? You've got city of Ozark is, is what, 20,000? How uh, many people? About 23,000. 23,000. So in a little over two days, you've populated the entire city of Ozark. Yeah. Same thing with Mixa. You think about, I mean, the, the, the tiny city of Fairgrove would be populated within the first half of the day. That's, uh, that's, that's crazy when you put it like that. Christian County, which I represent, specifically the eastern portion, but Christian County is roughly 90,000 people. So in the course of nine days, we've created a whole new county's worth of people. That's a, that's a scary thing to think about. Yeah, and over the course of Biden's presidency, we have populated the entire state of Missouri because Missouri is over 6 million people. We've brought in over 7 million people across the southern border, and which is just startling. It, it really is. And, you know, we don't mind. I'm, I'm sure you're just like I am. Uh, come and enjoy our country. Do it the right way. We'll invite you in. Be part of I mean, because we do have, um, you know, people like Vivek Malik. Who, who came to our country, he came to college down in Cape Girardeau, went through the system of, of going to college, becoming an American, and now he's serving our state. He, he did it the right way, and he's, he's a picture image of what we would want to see um, going through the immigration process. But everybody just flooding across the border, wreaking havoc on our, our systems because the government is, is providing them things, in some cases providing them more than what we are providing our own citizens. I know that you know a big point of concern that just came up the other day, I think uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville introduced a piece of legislation. It was co-sponsored by somebody that it would 
prevent using VA resources to provide uh, resources to illegal aliens. That should just be a no-brainer. Yeah. We shouldn't have to even do these kinds of things. So I, I really think that what the Biden administration and what the Democrats are going to attempt to do is to do a half measure. They're, they want, they don't really want to fix it. They want, the, they want to keep the discretion that they, that they currently have where they just, you know, turn on the faucet when they want to. And I think that they're, they're going to, they're going to position themselves with a political solution that sounds great, but, and it looks great on paper, but it's, but if at the end of the day, it gives the president the latitude to enforce it. And what we've seen happen with this president is that it doesn't matter how great the laws are. If the president isn't willing to enforce it, then the, then the people, then the border is completely open. To your point, when you said people are just, they're tunneling through or, or breaking through the walls as they're building up new walls, it doesn't matter how great of a wall you have if you're not punishing people when they, for, for damaging the wall or getting on this side of the wall. So in my opinion, I, I want to see real results. And the only way to do that is to pass something that doesn't give the president any wiggle room at all. To, to, make, to pass something that says, and, and this is what I want to see happen. Because the, the, the president wants Ukraine money. He wants money for Ukraine and, and other things. And, I would, and so I would be willing to say, okay, you, if, if you close the border and there's measurable res, reductions, significant reductions at the border, then we can talk about a, some kind of metric that rewards you for doing so, and therefore you get so many dollars for Ukraine. As long as the border is open, Ukraine doesn't get a dime. But if the border is closed, then we can talk about Ukraine. And the reason why I say that is that I don't want to send money to Ukraine, but it costs us so many times more for the border to be open than for the amount of money that we're talking about sending to Ukraine. Each year we spend almost half a trillion dollars a year um, in, in the costs of the, of the burdens, as we've talked about, the, the strain on our systems, on our, on our uh, welfare systems, on our hospitals. It costs us nearly half a trillion dollars, which is a fraction of the amount of money that would end up being sent to Ukraine. So I, while I don't want to send money to Ukraine, it's what the Democrat administration wants. And as you know, in politics, sometimes you have to, you have to um, figure out what the other side wants and, and, and leverage it. Well, it, it seems like what you're proposing, this is uh, Garrett, I'm the producer here, but it seems like what you're proposing is like what my mom proposed to me when I was 14 of if, if you get all your chores done here at home, then you can talk about going over to a friend's house. It, it seems like you're <laughs> trying to set up a system like that. It is. It is. And um, is that me? <clears throat> What's that? Is that? I'm hearing a beeping. Oh, no, it's not coming from our side that I, I believe. Okay. Well, maybe I need to call you back. I'm, is it, is it let bad? Let me call you right back. Yeah, all right, that's, all right. Right. that's just in time for our first break hey, of the hour. That's, that's perfect. That's perfect, Congressman. If you'll call us right back, we're going to go ahead and go to break right now. You've been listening to the Elijah Har Show with Bradley Allen Jackson and our Congressman Eric Burleson on KWTO AM 560 and 93.3 on your FM dial. Com, your marketing resource in southwest Missouri. Zimmer Communications.com. You shake it up. 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 Shake
shake my nerves and you rattle my brain Too much of love drives a man insane You broke my will, but what a thrill News, analysis, and opinion. It's the Elijah Har Show on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Well, it's not Elvis, but it's good. It's Jerry Lee Lewis. Came from the same place, Sun Studios, Memphis, Tennessee. So I'm good with that. Yeah, a little inside baseball here. I don't know if the listeners care enough, but this that song was input and edited into the system about... A minute before the show started today, because you were talking about Jerry Lee Lewis, and I went, oh my goodness, how do we not have Great Balls of Fire as an intro song? Absolutely. I hope, <laughs> hopefully everybody likes that. You know, I'm, I'm a big Elvis fan, but I love any of that old music, and uh, especially that sound that came out of the Memphis area back in the day. Well, we've got uh, Congressman Eric Burleson still with us, thank goodness, and right before we went to break, he, he uh, the producer Garrett made a comment about uh, w- what ends up being politics and, and the congressman was talking about you know hey uh, joe biden if you want money for ukraine you got to shut down the border you got you got to give a little to get a little bit and and overall cost I, it totally makes sense and i have a meme that's on my phone that i every once in a while share out and it's a picture of of uh, margaret thatcher and ronald reagan and it said i miss when the grown-ups were in charge and back in the day that that's how things got done you know, there was mutual respect across the aisles. Ronald Reagan, one of Ronald Reagan's best friends in Washington, D.C., was the Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill, who was a Democrat. You had to get along to get things done. And now we're so polarized, it seems, that it's hard to get things done. So it's going to take a good act, uh, Congressman. You were talking about compromise uh, to achieve the greater good, the greater goal. And if the greater good and the greater goal is protecting our border, as well as reducing the amount of expenditures that are happening in our country, I think that's a great plan. Yeah, and I think that the, the it's going to be it's different in that we're negotiating completely different topics. So the fact that we're not negotiating within the border bill is is a good sign at this point, right? Because we passed back early in the year the greatest um, border fix bill, immigration reform bill that the Republican Party has ever seen. It was called HR two. And it didn't have any kind of, it didn't have amnesty. It didn't have anything for DACA. It, it just was a stronger border bill. And, and that's the piece that we're negotiating from. So the Biden administration, we are the speaker, Mike Johnson, made it clear to the Biden administration that we're HR2 or bust. We want all the provisions of HR2 exactly the way they are, or we're walking and Ukraine doesn't get a dime. And the other thing that, um, so that idea that I originally floated earlier where, where we, we, were, we would set some kind of metric and we would give Ukraine money as, as the border numbers actually come down, that idea came from a meeting that myself, I was really honored to be invited to a meeting with Senator Mike Lee, Senator uh, Rick, John, or Rick Scott, Ron Johnson, the, a lot of the you know, conservative members of the Senate along with a lot of members of Freedom Caucus, um, you know, Andy Biggs, who is kind of a legend when it comes to border policy, and uh, Scott Perry, Chip Roy, all, all of these folks. And so we had a great discussion, and that, that idea sprang out of that meeting. The other thing that, is, I, that I would like to see happen is that ultimately, it doesn't matter how good the policy is, 
if the president doesn't want to enforce it, he won't. And so I think that the failsafe is a bill that Josh Hawley drafted. I'm the sponsor of it in the House. Uh, I'm not going to take credit for it. He's the one that originally drafted it, but I'm just the one that's carrying it in the House. And it is a, it's a bill that simply says, you know, if the federal government isn't going to do its job, it can't prohibit the states from enforcing the federal immigration laws. And the states are fully empowered to do so. So, which I don't know if you've seen it, but what's ironic in the news right now is that Joe Biden is fighting and suing the state of Texas and Governor Abbott for the new bill that was just passed in the Texas legislature. Uh, while at the same time talking about strengthening the border or going to Mexico and trying to work with the president of Mexico to try to come to some quote unquote agreement between Mexico and the United States. And, um, he, you know, it's just, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Well, he most definitely is. And that's one of the things that, that scared me about the, the, uh, the Fox news headline, you know, um, going to Mexico and, and in, in, initiating talks of amnesty for all of these illegals that are coming across the border. And it's not just Mexico. You know, I had the sheriff in here yesterday from Christian County, Brad Cole, and, and he's of the opinion. And, and I think that we have to get tough with Mexico. Some of our problem is not just people trying to get into the country. And, and some of them are using the, 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 the terminology that makes you feel sympathetic to them. They're saying they're, they're seeking asylum. Well, they're not, they're not really seeking asylum. They're, they're just trying to get into our country. And, um, and, and, and so if we don't take on the cartels, cause the cartels are some of the problem in the video I was talking about from Lukeville, Kentucky, there was a, uh, a cartel member that was bringing people across the border. Um, he, he had a, mm-hmm. mask, he had a mask over his face. He turned and he saluted the camera, uh, made sure all of his people made it through the fence. And then he went back. Uh, we've got to stop that. You know, they're, the, these cartels are a problem. They're they're getting drugs into our country. They're bringing illegals to the border and helping them get through the system. They're making huge amounts of money off these people, and they're poisoning our our country. And you know, the sheriff's opinion is we need to we need to as the United States of America need to wage war, declare war on the cartels, and and tell Mexico if you're not willing to help us, we're coming in anyway, and we're going to take the cartels out. That would help a yeah, little I, bit with our situation. It would. I think that Brad is, uh, Sheriff Cole is exactly right. The uh, That's why I think it's, you know, the Biden administration is so naive when they're going to, quote, unquote, negotiate with Mexico on this. It's not, the, 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 the fact is Mexico and Mexican politicians are getting rich off of the money that's flowing into the cartels. They're, they're buying off all the, they have for decades, but off the Mexican politicians. And, and so this is a big business. I mean, if you think about it, it's thousands of dollars for every one of these immigrants to come across the border. And there've been millions of them. So, you know, and this is the really sad part about this. There's not a single person, Brad, that crosses the Southern border without permission of the cartels. But the United States, so they can totally have the power to lock down the border or to to who who decide who comes over. But the United States, which is the most powerful country in the world, does it. That should tell you something. That's an unbelievable statement that you just made. And it's and it's 100 percent accurate. 
I mean, we, we could solve this problem with just a couple of threats, but no one's scared of Joe Biden. You know, I think we were in a totally different position for four years under Donald Trump. A lot of mischief wasn't happening. Yes, there were still people trying to get across the border. Donald Trump was working to stop that. But a lot of the mischief that we're seeing abroad, you know, Russia going into the Ukraine, uh, Hamas attacking Israel, China basically just said the other day to the, the president, hey, we're going to take China or we're going to take Taiwan. As soon as we're ready, we're taking Taiwan. Be fair warned. That didn't happen under Donald Trump because we, we were showing a sense of strength as a country. And we just don't have that strength anymore. Nobody's scared of America, and they should be. We are still, you know, the greatest country on the planet. We are still the greatest government that there is. We should have the strongest military. Unfortunately, that's not been a priority over the past three years. I think recruitment in our military is down 40,000 personnel this year alone. Um, where are we going? Where where are we on the, on the list of uh, strongest countries? Are we still there? Are we losing? Are we slipping? What, what, what is your view? Yeah, we're, we're slipping. Um, the, thank goodness we still have the world reserve currency in the U.S. dollar. But to your point, yeah, we are absolutely um, slipping in our, in our power. We have been for, decade, for the last decade against China. Um, I think that the, um, we, now the United States luckily has sprung out of the COVID um, experience faster than other countries have. So that's, that has uh, been good for the United States. Um, some of these tariffs that we, that were implemented against China and harm China, it's a little bit in economically. So, um, yeah, we're still the, we're still the predominant country on the planet, but our influence and our size has greatly diminished we're definitely becoming a smaller actor on the world stage. Yeah. And that's a scary thing for me. You know, I mean, I think the number I saw the other day was our military has not been this small, uh, since before Pearl Harbor. So 1941, that's, that's a, you know, that that's a scary thing, you know, because we have all these different conflicts, the potential conflicts and current conflicts. We can't even control our own border. Um, where does that lead us? And when you look at the number of people that are coming across our border, they're, they're predominantly, pardon me, they're predominantly men in their, you know, uh, teens, twenties, thirties, you know, there's not very many women coming across the border. They're of all nationalities. I think in, uh, in California the other day, they had 30 or 40 that they had apprehended all Chinese. <laughs> we're, we're setting ourselves up for, almost destruction from within. And, and I applaud you for all you're doing to try to, to help correct this at the federal level against the administration that it, it seems just doesn't care. And it blows my mind. So I'm going to tell this story. A, a good friend of mine told me years ago that the liberals and the Democrats, and I consider them two different groups, their goal is to completely tear down our country in our way of life and our government and rebuild it. And I always thought he was crazy. I just thought they were what you said a minute ago. We, we both had the same goals. The Democrats and the Republicans always had the same goals. We just had different ways of getting to the, the, the end point. And I've always thought that was true. But over the past couple of years, I'm starting to believe my friend may be right that the liberals are really trying to tear down our way of government, our way of life and rebuild it in a new style. And, and they don't care what they have to do 
to get to that point. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I, I do. And I, I think that this, this, we've been, I think the thing we have to recognize is that we, that the world has been at war for decades and the war has been the, 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 those, those, the people that view the socialist communist ideals and the people that, that view the tradition, that views of the traditional Western values of, uh, of the United States. And so, and they are at complete conflict with one another. So when you have, you know, that's why in communist China, uh, where there are no property rights, where they don't, the federal government determines all people don't have free speech. All of that is all controlled by central power, by the government. People derive their power from the government. In the United States, government derives its power from the people. Power is originated in the individual. And then they, they cede their power to the person that they elect for a period of time. That, that is a complete anathema. Those, those things cannot work together. They're oil and water. And so, so Reagan and, you know, uh, other previous administrations saw that and rightfully declared war against communism. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the posture was an aggressive posture, but right now we're seeing the results of not only communism's impact on South America, and now all, all of those people are bringing their problems and their issues that resulted from communism into our country. Furthermore, we as a country are experiencing the communism within our own borders from our own people who want to, who want to turn our public school systems upside down, who want to re you know, change the way that you and I live and operate. They want to turn this nation into a welfare state and a, and a nation that's dependent where people are dependent on the government and not the other way around. And so that we have been really, it's been a war against traditional values, freedom of speech, property rights, all of these things that you and I um, take for granted in America, there's been a war against that for decades. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I've always been a history buff, and I, I, over the past five or six years, really got into watching uh, and reading a lot of document uh, documents and, and watching documentaries on, on World War II, the rise of Hitler, and, and how he started taking away those rights, be, make, making people and creating the the need for people to be dependent on the government. And once they become dependent on the government, it was, it was easy pickings. You know, he went into Austria, walked in and took over Austria because he had, had made it, he made it so easy for himself because he got them to be dependent. They thought it was going to be great. They thought it was going to be wonderful. And, and in some cases it was until it wasn't. And, and so I look at this and it seems like our, our federal government under these liberal leaders, they want to make us dependent on on the government for every single thing in life. You know, they, they you know, you, you get on, we have this institutional racism like, uh, uh, Candace Owens talks about where the, the black community has been taught to stay within the bounds of what the government would provide for them. And so they, they, they've created this generational poverty or generational dependency on the government and, and to get to, I guess their, their end goal and their end state would be, you know, total domination and control which leads me back over into what's the biggest threat to 
to that mindset is is a guy like Donald Trump who who wants to put the power back with the people and and did that for four years and really upset the balance of of politics I think in this country um, even some Republicans are scared of him uh, in what he was doing in Washington D.C. Um, and now you got former Democratic Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard saying on the Hannity show she has no doubt that the Democrats would like to remove former Tr- President Trump from the ballot altogether to achieve their goals. That's that's their ultimate goal. The liberals' ultimate goal is to get Donald Trump off the ballot. And as you know, Colorado's Supreme Court said no Trump on the ballot. Maine Secretary of State says no Trump on the ballot. Why is <laughs> Why are they so scared of Donald Trump um, when we, the people, should be standing up and making them scared. Yeah, that's what I was. I was talking on another radio station this morning about, um, actually, this one with Alex Bryant. Yes, sir. About about this topic, and we we talked about the fact that um, that basically what we're experiencing is, you know. You know, we have in the United States, we have enjoyed the the opportunity to have peaceful revolutions every two years. You know, but before that, you know, the, when you look at the history of the world and political empires and political regimes, it has been bloody. And but in the United States, our founding fathers realized we're going to let people have a political revolution by electing the people to represent them every two years. Right. And so Congress has to be I'm up for the vote this year. Um, The president is up for the vote. But I say this, this, I say that to say this. If we do are not able to have a peaceful resolution revolution in the form of an election, then people will revolt and it will it will revert back to bloodshed. And I'm not saying that to say to, to threaten this is not a comment to say that if you do this, you know, we're going to, we're going to start a war. I'm, I'm saying as a political philosophy individual, someone who has respect for the, for the, the system that we have, I'm pleading with these crazy people who want to hijack the election, take a candidate off the ballot and pleading with them to remind them that, what you're doing is extremely dangerous, and there probably will be a backlash. And unfortunately, if people can't do it peacefully, they will do it violently. I, I think you're actually right, and and that's one of the things that disturbs me. And I've been part of organizations where you know you 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 select your leadership, you know, whether it be a chamber of commerce or or whatever, where you know there's names put on the ballot, and you make your nominations and you put them on the ballot. And sometimes in some of these organizations, there's a selection committee that finalizes the ballot. You know, you may have 20 nominations and, and the selection committee narrows it down to 10. Well, that aggravates me uh, because I want to know who all the choices are to, to be able to vote for. I don't need somebody to narrow down the field for me. I'm a pretty, I think I'm a pretty smart individual. I think I have a lot of faith in the people that are around me to be able to narrow down a list of 20 people to a, a single solitary contender. Um, but now you have the, the liberals that are doing this and that's going to alienate a, a large mass of people. If if Trump is taken off the ballots and nobody can cast a, a vote for him in five or six states and he loses the election that he probably should win, 
I mean, based off the polls and polls are polls, but it looks like we're going back to a Donald Trump administration. At least I hope so. But if, if, if that's disallowed because of the actions of one or two people, instead of the millions that want to vote for that individual, I, I don't see a good outcome coming. I, I think it could, I think it could get very violent and I don't want to see that. So why don't we let the people speak? Why is, why are a select group of people trying to, to be the voice for everyone? You know, we, we have a, we we live in a democratic Republic, so we get to choose our leaders and those leaders are going to go, you're off in Washington DC and you're making decisions that impact my life. And I've hired you to do that. And you're doing a fantastic job. You're, I may not understand some of the things that you're dealing with, and I may not agree with some of the things you're dealing with, only because I don't have all the information that you have readily in front of you to make those decisions. And and you're right. Every two years, I can choose somebody other than you if I think that's right. Um, but I get the chance to choose you, you know. And if that's taken away from me, I'm going to be very upset. And and we don't have a democracy. Uh, the, I guess that we have a democracy up until the point we've elected you to go do your job. And then we're back into a democratic Republic. But for a couple of people saying, eh, we don't want this guy. No, we don't want this guy, man, that's wrong. And I can see a, a major revolt. Yeah, that's, I, I couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. I think that what they're playing with fire when they, when they try to remove an individual from the ballot who was voted in by 75 million people uh, and who is the leading candidate for president right now. It's insane. And they don't even stand on strong legal ground either. Yeah. They, they, they're What they're doing is, is complete judicial gymnastics. It's absolute nonsense. I I think they know it, but they're just, um, they're, they're desperate right now to try to stop. They, they, on a world stage, they are the Democrats are doing what Jamal Bowman did with pulling the fire alarm. Yeah, they they are, you know, and I, I say that because having been there and observed what was happening, the Democrats were were freaking out that we were that we passed that we were bringing up a bill to have a clean continuing resolution to force their hand. They knew that they they would vote for it, that they couldn't vote against it. But they but they were they were trying to buy time. They were trying to stop us. They're trying to do anything they could to to have tactics to stop us in that endeavor. And in the middle of that is when Jamal Bowman pulled the fire alarm. And right now, that's what's happening. That's a figurative moment for what's happening across the nation. You've got all these crazy liberals in these blue states that are pulling fire alarms. And the problem is that it's going to create chaos. It could potentially create violence. Yeah, and I don't want to see that. But at least there's a few people. And and here's a story on Fox News. Um, I'm going to read the quote real quick. I voted to impeach Donald Trump for his role in the January 6th insurrection. I do not believe that he should be reelected as president of the United States. Representative Jared Golden, Democrat of Maine, began Thursday night. However... We are a nation of laws, and therefore, until he is actually found guilty of a crime of insurrection, he should be allowed to be on the ballot. Now, that makes sense. The gentleman doesn't agree. He doesn't like Donald Trump. He doesn't like Donald's policies. He doesn't like the party Donald Trump is is part of. But we are a nation of laws, and we must follow those laws. And until he's proven guilty in a court of law, he should remain on the ballot. Now, that makes sense. He voices his objection, and he has the, the reasoning behind 
this is why we should do this because we are a nation of laws. I mean, the, in, in, in Colorado, they cite the 14th Amendment, but in the very first article of the 14th Amendment, it talks about due process. Well, due process hasn't happened. So you're taking an action against Donald Trump saying he was an insurrectionist, which he wasn't, uh, but you're not allowing due process to happen. If he's proven guilty in a court of law, which I don't see how he could be proven guilty in a court of law, then you're, you're convicting somebody of a crime that they haven't been, you know, or you're punishing them for something they haven't been convicted of. It just doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. And I, um, you know, to your point, I, that was a brilliant point, Brad, that the 14th Amendment has been violated um, in that in that regard. And so... I, uh, I think that's a pretty brilliant point. Well, thank you. I have moments every once in a while. Hey, <laughs> thank you, Congressman, for that. Uh, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll take that as an endorsement. Hey, we're up against a break, but I want you to come back if you're able to. I know that you've got some family business to attend to tonight. But when we come back from the break, if you'll stay with us, I want to give you the opportunity to give us your elevator pitch. Tell us what you've been doing. I won't interrupt at all. Tell us what you've been doing in D.C., what you hope to achieve uh, what committees you're working on and everything. Will you be able to come back after the break? Yes. All I'm right. having that beeping thing again. I'll have to call back. <laughs> All right. That sounds perfect. You've been listening to the Elijah Har Show on 93.3 FM, AM 560, KWTO. It's just day of the week in the upper 40s with mostly sunny skies. For Fox 49, I'm meteorologist Tom Schmidt. This is the Elijah Har Show with Springfield's premier news, analysis, and opinion on 93.3 and AM 560, the new KWTO. All right, everybody, we're back on the Elijah Har Show. Minus Elijah Har, but I'm Bradley Jackson. I'm the county commissioner down in Christian County. Got Garrett, the producer here. For the past uh, 48 minutes, we've had Congressman Burleson on the line. He's back for this final segment, and we've got about six minutes before we have to go to break. Five minutes, 40 seconds. I'm going to leave it all to you, Congressman. Tell us what you've been doing in uh, Washington, D.C., what you hope to be able to do this year, and then tell us a little bit about uh, your upcoming election. Well, um, I, I was sworn in after the big voting round about Kevin McCarthy back in January, and that was a complete, complete circus. Um, it, I think that it was good that we went through the process and we were able to get some rules change, rules changes done. Um, and, and, and I think to, to kind of enlighten people about what happened there, whenever I was elected to the Missouri state legislature, I would, I remember that people, a lot of times it would be, uh, people that previous legislators, um, would, would tell us pay attention to the rules. The rules are everything. Learn the rules. And because if you know the rules, you have power. And what I, and I'll never forget that over time, speakers would change the rules or tweak them to take away power from the, from the elect, from the individual state reps and consolidate that power into the hands of the speaker. Well, that has been happening for over 200, you know, what is it? 47 years in the United States government, 
power has been consolidated into the hands of the speaker. And what, what we were able to accomplish, and, I, and I'll say this, what people don't know is that behind the scenes, uh, myself and a lot of members, including Jim Jordan and, and others, went to McCarthy and got him to concede to a significant number of the changes in the rules before we even went to the floor and voted. Um, I, the, the, member, the 20 members that voted to, against McCarthy they wanted a hundred percent of everything that they were asking for that we were asking for in changes. And I was on board with what they were asking for, but I, I've been in politics long enough to see the other side of this, that, that you can push leadership too far and they will, they will choose to side with the Democrats and turn on the conservatives. And I saw that happen in the Missouri Senate. I didn't want to go through that again. And I, I felt like the changes that, McCarthy was already willing to make um, accommodating 95% of what we were asking for. And so to me, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I felt like it was the right thing to do, but I am glad ultimately the way it turned out. And then we had, I think a really great period where we passed a lot of great bills, including HR two, the border fix bill. We, we passed the limit save grow act, which basically took us for the first time Congress passed a bill that, that uh, reduced spending year over year. As you know, whenever people, when people talk about cuts in the budget, they're not, they've never been talking about actual cuts year over year. They've been talking about cuts to the increases that they were expecting. And so this was, you know, Limit Save Grow was actual cuts from year over year expenditures, and that was promising. Um, the other thing that was promising this year is to see that we were actually passing the appropriation bills, um, which, which hasn't happened in 27 years. They've not passed, they've not actually passed a budget or the appropriation bills. They've just passed these continuing resolutions and omnibus bills and just continued the previous administration's wasteful spending on programs that have been expired for decades. And so it's really bad, Brad. It's extremely bad up there. But it, there's, glimmer, there's a glimmer of hope that we can start course correcting and changing some things. And, and I would say that while we're not able to do all of it this year because we're in the divided government, it does give me hope that if we take back the White House that we could be able to start actually moving the ball in the opposite direction. Um, that being said, it, um, me as a legislator, having experience working in the House and going into the U.S. House, it, it gave me a little bit of an insight as to what to work on. So in, in Congress, the real power is in the purse and the appropriations. And because we were going to go back to the process of regular order and having amendments on bills, appropriation bills, I, my staff and I dedicated everything to to the appropriation bills in the first few months of the year. We, we, we identified working with groups like Heritage Foundation and um, Russ Boat and other experts in D.C., we identified 270 line items of complete wasteful spending, things like funding the World Economic Forum, okay, or things like funding drag shows in Ecuador. So I sent 270 individual letters to the appropriators to defund and reduce or reduce spending in these areas. 
and I'm proud to say that over 80 of my 270 suggestions have been put, were put into the appropriation bills that were that uh, were either passed or getting ready to be passed out of the the house. All right, I'm going to have to cut you so, off there, Congressman. Uh, if we can get you to come back, we'd love to have you come back into the next segment in the 5 o'clock hour, but we're up against a hard break. I have no choice but to go and pay the bills right now. Uh, you've been listening to the Elijah Har Show on AM 560, 93.3 FM, KWTO. Days when we raised, we flew off the page, such damage. I made it through Cause somebody knew I was meant for someone So girl, leave your boots by the bed We ain't leaving this room They want to do these things and feel like they have to do that Don't miss Mark Patrick's seminar Sunday, February 4th at the Holiday Inn and Suites in Springfield, I-44. Sign up at markpatrickseminars.com. Take an ordinary putty knife and scrape off the old wax ring. Place the new wax ring over the flange, then line up the bolts with the bowl and gently set in place, making sure a proper seal is created with the flange and drain. Next. Um, Dad? Uh, yeah, sweetie. Is that an old plumbing manual? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, honey. We really need to get some new books. Right, um, do you, do you want me to stop? Nah, I kind of want to know how it ends. Okay, tighten the bolts, line up the flushing valve to the opening in the top of the bowl, and secure the tank with a screwdriver and crescent wrench. <laughs> the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-777-BE-A-DAD.